Now, how great, how awesome is he, and together we sing, everyone sing, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory, holy is the Lord God
the one in the middle, I think. chorus coming up and a huge bridge so okay. uh i know it feels a little naked do you feel naked when you're alone with the piano like that uh, that's the wrong word do you feel <laughs> exposed oh. no not really. Okay. Yeah, not really okay it, it was just there must be a recording where they do that because a, that yeah, felt right to me Okay, that's totally fine. It's okay, from habit. the top then. Habit. First, first chorus, drop to piano. We kind of all hit on that down. 
go to right we're all in together together at the top out on the first board for three to one. Oh, you want to all come in together on the top yeah let's rock on the intro you mean yeah where we all work together i can lay down the rhythm changes at the same time so we just need to decide where we're going to do them Julianne, you're doing straight on the beat which is fine I'm you guys want to be ahead What's okay. that? and you want to be what, this we just have to make a decision so the, the way i'm changing them and then we can decide if it's awkward or not okay together we see I noticed you do that on the intro too. Do you do you just do it through the whole song? Uh, I don't know that I'm standing.
love if more people are in on that chorus. I feel more secure. So if you guys want to be in on it, <laughs> I love it. Try it from the top? Yeah. Okay. So I think back to your question of. However, just because I'm doing that doesn't mean the drums have to stop at that. For example, if I was beatboxing it. thinking that you need to imitate the exact rhythms I'm doing. I'm just pointing out where the, especially for Luann and I, where the second chord changes on the hand of wherever that you know now. I'm cool playing this Yeah, you should. Oh 
Ride it up. Nathan, on the chorus, do you, I was asking earlier, so what I mean is, do you push that beat every time? Do you do the earth is filled with his glory? No. The earth is filled with his glory. That one's all straight. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. So the vocals on that one, it pushes, the vocal push God. But, but you don't. No. Maybe that won't even happen when I turn around. Go ahead. Yeah, it's my pickup. It's the second as well. Good to see everybody. How's that smoky weekend treating you guys? That's all this end of the world talk we've been doing. Where the blood, there's the blood, the, the moon, you know. The, it was crazy yesterday. Um, this is not the end of the world. It's just the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine about it. Um, hey, we're going to be in the book of Mark today. And I have 
Um, to the title of today's talk or today's message is uh, what legacy looks like. What legacy looks like. So can I pray and just ask God's blessing as we open his word and we open our hearts. Um, yeah, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, man, those words that we sang this morning, uh, the team couldn't have picked a group of songs that, that go more closely um, with the words that you want to share for us today. And I think uh, so much so, our spirit needs things that even our minds can't comprehend, and our spirits needed to declare who you are this morning. Before we open your word and before we receive from you, we needed to declare that you are stronger than any circumstance we find ourselves in. Um, that your love is greater. And um, so thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for, for reminding us as we sing to you. So now we open your word and we ask that you would speak to us words of life, words of direction, words of foundation and growth, that you would help us on this, this path that you have us on. And um, that we would have a greater capacity to know you today. So we thank you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, chapter 14 begins a new uh, series of, of uh, we just left the Olivet Discourse. We spent the last three weeks talking about um, Jesus' teaching on the end of days and now, in, in, let's pick up in Mark uh, chapter 14, and let's pick it up in the first couple verses. It says this in verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Verses 1 and 2 give us a, like a chronological time frame. Mark was, isn't really uh, too concerned with that type of thing in his writing, but every once in a while you kind of get these mileposts, these, these, these uh, uh, landmarks. And this is one. This is setting up. Now we just went from Jesus' teaching. His public ministry is over. He's not going to teach in a public setting anymore. And now we really move into kind of the crux of what is called Passion Week or the final week of Jesus' life. He is, at this point, going to move quickly toward the cross. And in verses 1 and 2, it says it was two days before the Passover of unleavened bread. So verse 2 sets the stage for the rest of the gospel uh, from a human, from, from our point of view. The time is significant because at the time of Passover— which every small Jewish boy and girl that was raised at this time, they would have been told stories. It's like how we tell stories of around Christmas where we gather together and, and talk about Christmas's past and what God has done in our families and we celebrate together. This was the, the highest. It's like Christmas and Fourth of July and all the things wrapped in one. It, it was just part of a child's life this this passover time and what it meant and the uh, escape from from uh, exile in in egypt and all of those things 
um, it, was a, it was a great time of expectation of the Savior, the Messiah. But Jerusalem was also crowded with these Messiah-expecting multitudes. Um, it was a time of great patriotic and messianic anticipa- anticipation. And so the security guards, Rome, they were on high alert at this time, lest there be an uproar as the, uh, the, the children of Israel, the Israelites, could do. They could get a little passionate about um, their freedom and their identity, and they could cause some skirmishes. So that is all the stuff that was happening during this Passover time. So let's pick it up in verse 3 now that we have the backdrop. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, speaking of Jesus, he was reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand, before burial. Verse 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow. This is a picture of what we talked about we want to be. We talked about it last week. This is a picture of what I'm calling the dining room classroom. The dining room classroom is where you gather in an intimate space around love and fellowship and and food and hanging out, and yet you leave changed because you learned something. It was an environment that Jesus loved and did some of his best teaching, especially in what we like to call discipleship, meaning being shaped in an intimate way by proximity to becoming more like Jesus, to knowing him more, to walking closer with him. Now, look, this is quite the scene. And this, this account is told in uh, three of the four Gospels. And there are little, like all other ones, there's little bits of color and different names that are thrown in. So you can, it paints a, a fuller picture. But sitting around this table, let me give you uh, a couple of the people who were there. There was a man named Lazarus that was there. Lazarus, uh, a f- not too long prior to this, died and was dead. Bible Trivia 201, how long was Lazarus dead? Good job, kiddos. Um, they, I heard the parents' voice, but the kids did not want to interrupt. They were being respectful, so they held up four hands. So dad's voice, three kids knew it. Good job, family. Four days, Lazarus was sitting there alive. It says, back in the day, just a quick, when you invite someone over to your home for dinner, you invite the people over that you want to be there. You, you don't invite anybody that you don't want to be there, right? 
in this culture, in this context, you invited the people that you wanted to have over for dinner, and they sat around the table with you. But whoever wanted to come and watch could come and watch. They could be. You ever said, "I'd love to be a fly on the wall." At that, that there were flies on the wall. There were people there watching. And it says a lot of people came to see Lazarus, who was dead. The whole city knew it. So much so that when Jesus says, take me to Lazarus, Mary, who we're going to look at here in a second, said, Lord, it's four days. His, he, he stinks by now. Whoa. Don't get me started on that miracle. Lazarus was sitting there reclining at the table, eating some pita bread with Jesus, some hummus. Simon the leper. This is a man that had a physical condition that the world wanted to equate with a spiritual reality. Bad person. He has leprosy. Outcast in society because what he had could spread. So what did people do? They got scared and they relegated people out of the city. And anytime someone with leprosy had walked down the street if anybody else was walking down they had to raise their hand and say unclean unclean I'm a leper be careful I got I got it and so people could avoid them but there was this one man who didn't avoid Simon he walked up to him and he touched him before he healed him so he was close in proximity he could identify with being rejected and he brought healing and restoration to Simon's life. That was Jesus. Simon was sitting there eating some pita bread and some hummus. And there was this woman, Mary, amongst others. And in this setting, around this dinner table, this woman did an extravagant display of devotion to Jesus. You know, that's a good definition for an act of worship. We like to use the word worship. We just sang three songs of worship, or I worship God Almighty. Um, Lord, help me to worship you in spirit and in truth. We use that word. uh, One of the definitions of it, a really good one, is an extravagant display of devotion. It's a showing of devotion to someone. Now, I want to look at this woman's act of worship. And what we want to do, we want to look at the act, and then we want to look at the responses. Because the things that we do draw responses, don't they? We want to look at the response she gets from people, and then we really want to zoom in on the response that she gets from Jesus. But first, let's look at this, this extravagant act. What the heck is Spike Nard anyways? So let's look at this act. A couple of things about it. First thing about it, it was bold. What she did was bold. It would have been shocking in that culture for a woman to do this. There was a lot of stuff that happened around Jesus that was countercultural as far as what people thought a woman's place in society was, how much voice they should have. those things. Jesus was the, he's the liberator of, of all people. And this woman came and 
She didn't ask for permission to do this act. Hey, I got an idea, you guys. Right around the main course, I want to show Jesus that I love him. Would it be too disruptive if I just says this woman came and did this great act of worship? Second, her act of worship, it was public. It was in front of everyone. Which, you know, I was thinking about, what is it about people who worship Jesus boldly and publicly? What is it about that them? I think, you know, so sometimes we, we'd say, well, they're just crazy. Because no one in their right mind would be so bold and so public with their faith. You know, maybe there's some truth to that at times, but I would like to say that that would be the exception. And the rule is this. People who worship boldly and publicly they have a tendency to know who they're worshiping. They know exactly who they're worshiping and who they're showing devotion to. The third thing about this this beautiful act that Mary did, it was costly. It was costly. It says that this perfume, people thought essential oils were new. No, 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 no. They go way back, and they've always been expensive. (laughs) Uh, thank you. Uh, it was they, this was costly. It says three hundred denarii. Now this was equivalent to a year's worth of wages. So years worth of wages. You know, we're talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, this actually could have been a family heirloom, actually, with the description of it's it's um it was fully sealed it didn't have a cork it wasn't like it wasn't like jacar noir of the day it was um any jacar people come on any gen zers out there let's go yes from the magazine obsession for men um this was a sealed thing that the only way the, con- the contents of this could come out was in a, when it was, the neck was broken off, and then it would be poured out. So this, is pro- this could have been something that was passed to Mary from previous generations in her family. Whatever it was, it shocked people when she did that. And it was like, what are you doing? It was very costly to her. We give the most to the things that mean the most to us. What means the most to you? Look at the things that you give to the most. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. That is not an over-spiritualization of anything. Just look at where your invest parents are like, my kids. Yeah, it's a good thing. You love your children. We want to invest in, but the things that we give to the most, sometimes it's good, it's great. Sometimes it's not so good. It's a great way to, to see what's important. The last thing about her, her worship, before we get into the responses, is it was pungent. You know, when you put on perfume, it changes the atmosphere around you. 
the more you put on, the greater distance of that atmosphere is changed. She poured an entire jug of this stuff over Jesus's head. It changed the atmosphere and it caused a reaction. Or whatever it was, it caused a reaction. So I want to look at these two reactions because there's two of them. There's one positive and then there's one negative. Such as happens when people who show extravagant displays of worship to Jesus causes reaction. The scripture says, uh, I think in 1 Corinthians um, that we are the fragrance of Christ to the world. You guys ever heard of that scripture before? It says that we, as the people of God, are like what is being talked about here to the world around us. They're going to see that our, our displays of devotion, and it causes a smell. And it says it causes two kinds of smell. One is it's the fragrance of life, where people see your life your response to who Jesus is, and they, it smells like life. And they're like, I got to get me some of that. Those are the conversations where you hear, hey, what is it? Someone notices, what is it about you to where, regardless of the chips are up or down, you just, there's this thing about you. There's a fragrance of life. And it says to some other people, it's the fragrance of death. They smell it, and they're like, oh, smells horrible. They just want nothing to do, and oftentimes it's because we'll see here when people misunderstand, it, it smells bad to themselves because they're catching a whiff of what they got going on more than what you got going on. So let's look at these negative responses from people. What causes these men in this room to respond to Mary the way they did? Well, I would say they misunderstood what she was doing. The disciples' first response was shock and a clear misunderstanding of the moment and the significance of this act. They misunderstood. Now, when we misunderstand something or decide not to try to, let me try to say that in another way. Misunderstanding, we can place the blame, what they did. I don't, they didn't do it in a way that I understood, so I misunderstood. Or so I don't get it. Misunderstanding is not de- having a desire to understand what is going on in someone's life, why they did that, why was that so. And they didn't ask why. They were like, what? What are you doing? It wasn't like, why would you do that, Mary? There was no seeking of understanding. Oftentimes, that comes from a place of pride and jealousy. When, when, we, when someone does something, we misunderstand because sometimes we don't want to understand because it, it causes us to have to take a look at ourselves. Uh, worship's desire, that person who b- worships boldly and publicly, is to magnify Jesus. When someone raises their hands in worship, when someone actually falls to their knees in prayer, when someone gives of their resources, when someone does a, an act, a display of worship, our first response is people in their lives should never to be like, what are they doing? It should be, they really know 
who they're doing this for from tears. Worship's desire is to magnify Jesus, but jealousy's desire is always to magnify self. So as we go through these three misunderstandings that they had, I also want to give three diagnoses. Three diag- We're going to have a diagnostic tool for our hearts. Because as we see the way they misunderstood, if we see that in ourselves, these are great things that the Lord might be showing us that there should be some heart work to take place. The first one is this. They misunderstood the act, what she was doing. They were hanging out, having dinner. She walked in unannounced and took this thing that if you had been in her life at all, you knew it was there. Didn't she didn't find it? She didn't go out and buy it. This was something she'd been holding on to. It meant a great deal to her, to her family, probably had memories tied into it from where it came from and what it represents, and she cracked this thing open and pours it over Jesus' head. This act, they misunderstood the act. What a waste. How much do you need to put on him? You need to pour the whole thing on his head? A little bit would do. It was a custom um, of that day when someone would come over to your home. A couple of things you would do. They had a please remove your shoes policy. Um, it wasn't so you don't get your muddy feet on my northwest carpet. It was so you don't, um, it was a sign of respect because people wanted to take their sandals. They didn't want to track stuff into someone's home. So there were two things that would customarily be done when you came over to someone's house for dinner. As you came, they would greet you at the door with two acts of respect and honor towards you. There would be a bowl of water, and someone would come down and and wash off your feet for you. And then when they were done with that, they would grab some oil by the front door, and they would take some oil, put it in their hands, and put it in your hair. It was a sign of um, smelling good, being good. It was just a beautiful act of respect and honor to someone. Welcome to our home. This is a, you know, and you touch feet, and you give them some oil, and they would come in. And they were like, well, how much do you, don't you, haven't you ever done that? You've had dinner parties before. You don't put the whole jar on. Just give them a little bit. And they were angry at her. But in reality, according to what Jesus says, she says, she is anointing me for the day of my burial. Did you catch that? They were like, they, they were all, he was always talking about what he came to earth to do. And they were always missing it. But you could say this, she was anointing the anointed one with the amount that he deserved. He didn't deserve a drop or a handful. He deserved it all in her, in her estimation, so she gave it all. The Messiah, have you ever heard that term before? The Messiah actually means the anointed one. Anointed means one whom something is put on liberally. Jesus, the anointed one, she was uh, actually anointing him with oil. And when when the disciples, the other people saw that, here's the diagnostic tool. When we see an act of worship in someone's life, if we respond with anger before awe, that could be a good um, representation of where our heart may be. Their first response, anger. First response should have been awe. Wow. That is that is so 
amazing instead of, oh, my gosh, what a waste. So they scolded her. It says that uh, they all scolded her. So Judas steps up, scolds her first, but the other ones were like, yeah, Mary. It was like ganging up on this woman in this act of devotion. That hits a little close to home in our culture, in our day. When we don't understand, it's easy to get mad. The people that were mad at her were the ones that actually wanted the gift, the money, the amount for themselves. It says in the Gospel of John that Judas actually was stealing money from the ministry. And when he saw how much she gave, it says Judas didn't care for the poor. He was just mad because he was skimming off the top. And this was taken away from the amount that he could get for himself. Such is the heart of jealousy. When you, when you see something in another that doesn't cause awe, it causes you to go, well, what about me? It's a good, it's a thing that happens when we misunderstand the act. The second thing they misunderstood, they misunderstood the amount. Not just the act, but the amount. What a waste, they said. Common when people don't understand. I've heard this about people. I, heard, I remember there's this young guy that I met, and he was a very talented athlete. And in his pursuit of athletics, he met a girl whom now is his wife, and they have kids together. But I remember people saying of this dude, what a waste. He had so much going for him, and he settled for this. He could have been pro. He could have been famous. But what he wanted was love and eventually a family. But we misunderstand the amount. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17. You want to know what my friends, the dudes that were closest to me, and we were close. My friends were my family. I didn't live with my family. I lived with my friends. We had each other's back. We shared clothes. We shared food. We shared everything. And when Jesus got a hold of my heart, and I didn't know how to explain a theological perspective of what had happened to me, I just knew that Jesus got in here and messed all stuff around, and now what was important to me was changing. And what was important to me before was also changing. And I, I was changing. And I remember my closest friends, their first response was anger. They were mad. What happened to you? Where's the old JJ? We don't like this version of you. They misunderstood the act, and they misunderstood the amount of what God was doing in my life. I still didn't have words for it. 30, 17, 27, 37. 
So like nine, tw 20 something years later, <laughs> that's quick math, no big deal. Uh, 20 something years later, I'm still trying to figure out how to totally explain what happened to me and the best I can come up with was I was once blind, but now I see. I've been born of the spirit of God. I am growing in my relationship with Jesus. His word is a light to my path. It illuminates my heart. God never uh, has a desire to condemn me even when I screw up really bad. But he wants to conform me into the image of his son. And you know what changes? What he wants from me is my whole life, not because I think I'm going to buy his love, but because I'm learning to more and more and more that Jesus gave his whole life for me. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out how to keep a message certain amount of length every single week and just do the best I can with what's in front of me. In, in front of me. And you know what? I'll never figure it out this side of heaven. And a matter of fact, the Bible says there are some things we're never going to fully come to grips with. And you know what it is? It's God's grace. It says even in heaven when we're not sick anymore and our bodies are really strong and we can like fly through walls and stuff. No big deal. We'll talk about that another time. But even in heaven when all things are in God's new creation, when we live in the bodies we originally created to have, there's something that will still blow us away every single day and we'll never get to the bottom of God's grace. It says throughout eternity, we will be blasted by like, oh my gosh, I thought I got it yesterday, but it's a deeper thing. They were mad at me. You know why people get mad when there's big change in someone's life? It took me a long time to realize this because I thought it was me and so I kept my faith sort of like secret for a while because I was trying to be like, well, I still want friends. I want Jesus. So I was trying to figure out how to navigate this. Here's what I come to realize. When you see God working powerfully in someone else's life and there's a smell to it and it smells good, it causes you to have to look in the mirror and ask questions about yourself that you often don't like the answer to. And that's the reality of someone coming face to face with Jesus on their own and the gospel on their own. So they misunderstood the amount, and this is what brought them to personal excuses. The first one was when, they, when we experience anger before we experience awe. The second one is the diagnostic tool to our own heart is if we come up with a bunch of personal excuses on why we can't live that way too. Oh, I would give that amount if I was as rich as they are, if I could afford to. Mary didn't, wasn't a woman of means. In her estimation, she couldn't afford not to. It's not that she could afford it, but when we see someone do a lavish thing, and, it, and some of our, if our heart goes to, well, I'd do it too if I was rich. That's, that's saying more about where your heart is than the gift of, than, than how that person, that's saying more about you than them. You guys see what I'm saying? And the second one, a personal excuse is, this is what I see a lot in the church in our day and age. And I think this is a great diagnostic tool 
for a present condition, not that we have to live there or stay there, but that we can diagnose it and then God, by his grace, can move us from it. And here's this. It's jealousy over what we too once had. I have heard so many, especially because life is hard, right? And you go through the ringer. And when we go through the ringer in any way, we say this, I am not doing that again. And sometimes we go through the ringer and we don't need to go down that road again. We learn from that. But when our, with our faith, I've heard people say, there was this time in my life I worshiped like never before. God seemed so close. And then you ask him what was going on in your life, and it seemed like chaos. There was... The job wasn't what it wanted to be, what they wanted it to be. The money wasn't there. The, there was strain on relationships. There was maybe a, a health concern. There were things going on, and people say, but I had never been so close to God. It was, it, worship was just coming out of me. And it, they'll talk about it was this beautiful experience. But then we come out of those things and we start praying stuff. We're like, God, thank you for that. Oh, you're so, and then we come through and we're like, Lord, please don't ever let me experience that again. And we, we get like the amount, our amounts are off. And some of us have come through experiences where we were once so close to God and we'd pour our hearts and then you see it happen in someone else and you're all, what a waste. We become bitter because it didn't, our life didn't come through like that moment passed. Maybe we're grown, we're, we're grown up now and we're, we make more money now and, and we realize that was dumb. You could, have, you could have done this, that, or the other and we judge someone, but they're, they're just trying to pour out their heart before the Lord. If those are our responses, we need to rethink our responses. Last thing they misunderstood. They misunderstood the significance. Jesus says, you will always have the poor And he says, and you should do good to them whenever possible. So he isn't saying like, you have the poor, like, like, uh, give it to me, not the poor. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, you're going to go back out there and there's going to be plenty of opportunity for you to serve and you should do it. But there, then, in that moment, Jesus was in their midst. This woman saw the anointed one. She saw the one who loves the world, and she was going to not let anything hold her back into doing a great act of devotion to him. This, Mary was known for this. She was a worshiper. She was known for sitting at the feet of Jesus, for, um, for this act here. She knew that tomorrow had its own struggles, but this day, she had Jesus. You know, that's always my prayer for Sunday. I was on my bike yesterday riding. And I start riding and I think about what God's been speaking to me all week in his word. And I think about our worship team and what they've prepared. And I think about our AV team. I think about our Bridge Kids team. I think about our greeting team, our hospitality team. All of these people that have made it a commitment in their own lives to see that there could be this place where heaven and earth could touch and there could be a connection from our hearts to God's heart. And I just think about, and the devil wants to get in there and take my my heart all sorts of ways, but I tell him to shut his face because he's stupid. (laughs) 
and I tell, and I just, the Lord stirs my heart for what could be. There could be a place where we could be like, man, there's a lot of problems out there, but in this place, it could be this, this moment in time, this ivy drip of what heaven is like, where God makes a connection with us and us with him. This day she had Jesus, and Jesus says this was a moment that would echo throughout generations. I think the third diagnostic thing that they saw in their heart is their first inclination was to compare themselves to her. They saw what she did, made them angry at first. They didn't get the act. Now brings comparison. Matter of fact, this was the final straw for Judas. It says, right, look in, uh, back in our text in Matthew 14. Um, or excuse me, Mark 14, thank you, and uh, in verse 10. So verse 9, truly I say, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray, betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the, they said that they weren't going to do it during the feast unless there was an uproar, but then Judas comes and says, this is actually the perfect time because everyone's around and I'm going to help you get him. It was this spirit of comparison. When he saw what she did, he looked at where he was at and it was the final straw, I'm out of here. Not only that, it was the point where he decided somehow in his own heart by the power of of Satan working in his life, that he was going to not only walk away from the church, but that he was going to renounce his faith and join allegiance with the enemy. You think comparing a comparison spirit is powerful? I'm here to tell you it's so powerful. You know, when we were kids, we could only compare ourselves to the people that were immediately around us. On the soccer field, on the basketball court, whatever it is you were doing, you could only compare yourselves to the players on the field. That's how big the world was. Now we live in a world where you can compare yourself to the entire world. And you can scroll through and judge or like based on what you have in common or what you don't have in common. It's one of the things, parents, just a heads up, a lot of what's happening, it's this comparison to the rest of the world. When we misunderstand the best version of someone else, we will settle for the worst versions of ourselves. Let me say that one more time. When we misunderstand the best in someone else, this woman was having a moment. When we misunderstand that, we will settle for the worst of ourselves. She gave to Jesus freely, without reservation, with a smile on her face and tears in her eyes, something that was a family heirloom. Judas, who followed Jesus every single day for three years, she gave thousands of dollars in worship. He betrayed Jesus for 300 bucks. When we see the best in someone else, 
we often will live in the worst version of ourselves. Comparing is the thief of joy for sure. Let's look at Jesus' response. He said this, leave her alone. He came to her. Jesus had her back. Because he understood the act. They misunderstood the act. Jesus understood the act. They misunderstood the amount. Jesus understood the amount. They misunderstood the significance. Jesus understood perfectly. He knew what she was doing. He knew what she was saying. The oil is a representation of the spirit of a person. She poured out the entirety of its contents without reservation. You know who that sounds like? That sounds like Jesus to me. Jesus understood what she was doing because Jesus in three days would do the same thing. She was looking at it before. We get to look at it after. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus in the garden says, Lord, if there is any other way, let it be. Uh, if, there, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, let it be nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus drank the whole cup that God had placed before them, before him. He was faithful to the end. He poured out his life without hesitation and without reservation. It was liberal, and people could stand back and be like, yo, why so much? You just got to give them like a little bit of religion to do. Just give them a little good works. Tell them about karma. Something in Jesus poured out everything without reservation. He understood what she was doing. That's his story. Jesus would do anything and has done everything to show his devotion to you and to me. And we get to put a word around that. We call it good news or the gospel or the message that we're supposed to carry to the world that it's not because you deserve it. It's because Jesus loves you. And he understood this significance. See, her act was a response to the love of Jesus. That's never a waste. As a matter of fact, it's an investment. Because the best investment you can make isn't money you can put in the bank, but a life freely given to Jesus, invested into the kingdom of God. They thought it was a wasted inheritance, but in reality, it was an invested legacy. I want to end these last couple minutes by talking about what is legacy. Because I was looking at all of this and thinking, and you know the first people that came to mind is you moms and dads in this room. Because don't we think about the world in which we live, Does anyone else here say the things that I swear only old people say? And then you start saying them, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You either have to say, I'm, getting, I'm old now, or you have to be like, oh, it's not just for old people. One of these, here's one. Time goes so fast. When you're a kid, you're like, oh, my gosh, you're old, if someone said that to you. Or they look at your kids, and they go, enjoy it. It goes quickly. You're like, get out of my face. And then you get older, and you're like, oh, my, and you look, and you find yourself do it. And you look at a baby, and you're like, I'm going to do it. 
don't say it. Here it comes, and you can't stop it, and you're like, I remember when my kids were that young, and you're, the person's dodging your gushiness, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I just did that, and they're looking at you, and they're like, you must be older than you look. <laughs> the things that only old people say. Where was I going with this? Oh, yes. We, here's one of the things we say. That was all a buildup for this one sentence. The things that we say sure was different when we were kids. I used to hear my dad used to say that. Man, you can't, you can't do that stuff now. sure was different when we were kids. I think what they're saying a lot of the times is life is so complex, and they wonder how we're going to navigate as, as we're growing. They see the world that they grew up in, and now they're looking at the world that their kids are growing up in, and I wish they would have just changed instead instead of saying sure was different when we were kids. I wish they just would have shot us straight and said, I'm scared. I don't know how to parent in this time. Because that's what they were saying. They were just saying it in a way that, you know, is less vulnerable. Because aren't we parents, aren't we there? We see things, and, and I, I understand why people would be like, I don't want to bring kids in this world. What they're saying is, I'm scared. I don't know how to navigate this world. And one thing that we think is a healthy point of parenting is becoming stringent and cold and religious. It's not helpful. But what we need is to look and say, what type of world do we, what things can I leave for my kids that's going to set them up for success? And it's not necessarily an inheritance, which, it, which would be great. If God blesses you and you're able to manage your resources and leverage your resources and put things away, those are good stewards of what God has entrusted to you. But I would say what's more important than leaving an inheritance is leaving a legacy. See, an inheritance is what you leave. A legacy is who you leave it to. And I look around this room and I think about our team's night coming up and I think about all the stuff and I think about the future of the church. And some people want to be like, oh, I'm so scared for the future of the church. I'm not. I'm excited for the future of the church. But what there needs to be is there needs to be a transference of legacy and inheritance for those, from those that have gone before to those that are coming. It's not a, I'm scared for your generation. You're going you're gonna to mess it all up, so see you later. It needs to be like, here's how we fought. Here's what we learned come on and there needs to be this younger wanting to step into what has gone before them not being like oh you guys are lame but there needs to be this this joining together you 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 something is left in your hands and you honor it and you cherish it and you push it forward that's what we want for our kids right parents you want to do things and make choices that your kids when they're older they don't say stuff like oh religion that was my parents thing they see they say, my mom, my dad, they were scared sometimes. And you know what they did? They prayed. They asked God, please help me. They called their friends and said, man, I'm struggling. Can you help me? They were vulnerable about where they're at. And they really showed up at these moments, and they poured out lavish worship to Jesus because they really believed the stuff they said. That's leaving a legacy of faith. Jesus says what she did was smelly. 
what she did would be talked about every time the gospel was shared. Can you smell it? We're still smelling it 2,000 years later. This act of worship that she did smelled so good to Jesus that we're still sitting in it, and that's the fragrance that Jesus is talking about. A life of worship and the heart of generosity, it follows people around. You leave the room, and it sticks, it sticks around, and people smell it, and it smells good. But most importantly, it smells good to the Lord. So I leave us with this question, what do you want to be known for? And what does your life smell like? It's easy to take all of this stuff and be like, yeah, man, I need to give more to Jesus. Okay, I need to, I need to start giving or I need to give more. I need to have a heart more like her. Let me tell you why she did all of this stuff. The Bible says we love much when we realize how much we're loved. See, what she did wasn't an, an act of giving to gain anything. I think sometimes what we fail to understand is the people that are the most generous, the people that they leave the room or you're with them and you want, you're like, I want to spend more time. I want to be more like that person. Even if in the moment they're like, oh, that person drives me crazy. But there's something about them. I want to be more like them. Here's what it is. The secret sauce in, in being generous, and because and it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a thing you have to commit to, you have to walk in, you have to practice even when you don't want to, even when you don't want to share, you share because we're growing and we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. But here's where it stems from, understanding and receiving what has been done for you. Our lives are a response to the world around us. We live based on responses to stimuli from culture, from TV shows, from music, from Jesus, from the word of God. And so people who give big, have, have um, they love big, and they've received a lot of love from the Lord. These are the people that I tend to surround myself with because I want to be like that more and more and more. And that's what I've noticed. People who have a greater capacity not to give but to receive who God is. So may we smell this act today and see this beautiful picture of lavish worship. And may our hearts, more than anything, see that that contents of that bottle is not just perfume. It's actually Jesus' life upon your head, upon my head. It's not wasted, even though a bunch of it may have fallen to the floor. It was worth every drop to him. So when we sing the song, band, why don't you guys cruise up here? Let me pray. Let's sing the song as a response to God's goodness, and we'll close out our service that way. So, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your love and for your goodness. Thank you for this time that we could come together and be, be together. Thank you for helping us to grow in our understanding, not just of what it is to follow you, but maybe you could grow our capacity to receive your grace that we would receive more of your love, that it would sink in and hit us on a new level, so much so that it would just change who we are as people. We sing the song to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand with us?